Okay, this morning I want to introduce you to a very deep theological concept. So you're going to have to stick with me. This is, a, this is God as a pie tin. And that's kind of how dig, deep we dig around here. But um, the best things are held together in a pie tin. No, that's not it at all. The, the reason why we're kind of coming to this, and for some of you who've been around Encounter, you know, I've used this one before, but that doesn't make it any less helpful. Uh, so for those of you who are new uh, to God as a Python theology, what this is all about is imagining your life, um, the hours that you spend, the resources that you have available to you, everything that makes up your life, and imagine it as different slices of a pie. And, and you have in there like your work life is a slice, maybe your relationship, your family, um, your, your uh, resources your finances, your talents. I mean, it all is like a slice of the pie that, that is you. What some of us do is this, this way of looking at life and saying, well, I guess like everything has a slice. So I guess God has a slice of the pie as well. And sometimes when the new year comes around, every new year, we say, hey, this is the year that I'm going to start taking my faith life a little more seriously. So, so what that means, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the God slice of pie a little bigger from year to year, and that's kind of where I'm going to go for the future. We're going to push back on that gently but firmly today and say, maybe God isn't going to be happy. Maybe God isn't going to settle with just a slice of your life. Maybe God is actually the 10 that like every other area of life sets into. Maybe God is the 10 that like gives shape and form to every other slice in your life, every aspect, every element, your work, your finances, your relationship, your family, every area of life, and God gives shape and form to it all. Now, the reason why we bring that one up is to say there's one slice that far and away outpaces every other slice in the pie. And that slice is, uh, is what we're going to call your work life. Um, just real quick, in case you know your work, you're a student, then you kind of think your classroom life, education, if you don't work out, if you work uh, inside the home, like stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, something like that, um, you can just kind of fill that in as your work. Just imagine something, if you would. Um, imagine that how many hours you spend in the slice that is your work. Um, the number of hours for most people exceeds the number of waking hours that you spend with your spouse, if you can believe it. So people come to me every once in a while, and I know many of you have as well, and try to like, you know, bounce ideas back and forth, try to figure out like, like what am I supposed to be doing with this thing called work, you know, career or something? Maybe it's this, maybe it's something else. And, and one thing that I make sure to try to tell as many people as I possibly can is try not to make a decision on work when that's like all about money and all about like how much you make. It's, it's just as ridiculous to think about work in terms of how much am I going to make as it is to talk about marriage and how much she's going to make or he's going to make. Like don't work for money, don't marry for money. And, and because the reason for that is the number of hours, the sheer number of hours that you spend at the thing called work is just overwhelming. So like, think carefully about that slice, that slice of the pie. Um, all right. So this morning, we're going to talk about the decisions, commitments, and promises that we make in terms of work life. They're going to shape the person that we become tomorrow. Uh, as we do we want to make sure that there's some kind of, uh, of connection, because that's what's lost often, isn't it? There's some connection between Sunday morning and Monday morning. 
There, there's like this, this gap in between or this like break between like the, what I do on Sunday morning, I worship, I honor, I praise God. But then when I go to like the office or I go to the jobs or something, it's like that part of me is just gone. Like, well, that was maybe a different slice. No, no, no. Somehow Sunday affects Monday. And we need to figure this out. We need to get this right because it's such a huge slice of the pie that is your life. We need to get this right. And also, uh, what I like to do is not settle for like easy pat answers. Because sometimes somebody's going to tell you, hey, the biggest area that Sunday and Monday connect is like Monday is your like mission field for inviting people to Sunday. I, I want to say, yeah, that, that could doubt totally be true. But I think that there's something more to it. I think that there has to be something more to it than that. We're going to figure out what that is this morning. Uh, first, a story. This is a true story. Uh, Catherine Alderoff. Um, uh, Catherine was a tech CEO in the mid to late 90s. And as, as a tech CEO in the 90s, she, she had it going on. She took over the company from the founder himself and took it from this small time thing to like this, this massive thing uh, that's just huge valuations. People are looking at it and they're going, this has ranged anywhere from a 200 to $350 million company. So that uh, senior leadership, like Catherine, she looks at this, and everybody's kind of like got dollar signs in their eyes. Uh, tech in the 90s, not unlike today, it's like engineers and like, tech executives walk around like deities walking on earth, right? They are almost like, ha, ah, worshipped, right? They're just incredible people with this incredible power. And so she's working on these projects and these products and making sure to get them out to market. And she's got a good product that they're just about to bring to market. And then the bubble bursts. The single largest drop in the NASDAQ in like history. It just, the bottom, the floor of the market drops out. There is no more funding available. They indeed got their product to market. is a good product delivered on time. She did her job, but there's nobody to buy the product, and there's nobody to invest in the company to take that thing to the next level. $350 million, almost a third of a billion dollars dries up, evaporates just like that. She has the difficult work of going into the office and telling everybody that they don't have a job tomorrow. And she's wondering, as a Christian in the workplace, how is it, how is it that my Sunday connects to Monday? She had done the work of asking some of the other executives around her and saying, like, you're a Christian, how do you do it? And they're telling her, listen, it's simple. I put a Bible on my desk, and occasionally people ask me about it. That's how it ties in. Other people said, hey, this is how it is. I work hard, and I make a ton of money so that someday I'm going to be able to like, give a ton of money away. And she's like, I'm not settling for that kind of answer. I, I think that the God of the universe, the, the Python God, has something better in store than that. Other people just tell her plainly and honestly, Listen, I get up every morning and I pray. I pray for my business to thrive. <laughs> She's going, there's something more to it. And on the day that she has to tell her employees of this company that they all thought they were just about to get massively wealthy, you don't have a job anymore. She's going, there's got to be something else there. There has to be. 
In case you've ever had the awful experience of walking into the office that morning with a bright future ahead of you and walking out that afternoon with your things in a box, not knowing what the future holds, you may have also wondered, there has got to be something else here. There's got to be a way that God like holds it all together and gives it shape and gives it form that Sunday ties into Monday. Maybe you haven't had that experience. Maybe you love your job. Maybe you love the work that you do and the products that you create, the service that you provide. But maybe it's like the toxic, like just fear-mongering culture that you're like walking into every Monday. And you're going, I don't get it. Somehow God has to speak into this. And it's not about making money. It's not about praying to sell more widgets or things or provide more services. It's not about putting a Bible on the desk because someday, and Catherine gets this, someday the day is going to come when I don't have a desk to put a Bible on and I don't have a job to make money at to give away. I don't have a business to pray so it'll thrive. There has to be something more to it. And it's then when we hear the Apostle Paul like, like speak right into this with his book in, in Colossians. There's a letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, there's so much more to it. Um, let's go there. Colossians 3, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. There's also Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Uh, Colossians 3 starts out very simply with this. We're going to read the passage and then kind of come back and make some comments on it. It says in verse 22, Colossians 3, it goes, slaves... Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes are on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. All right, just a couple of comments on what we just read there. Colossians is, uh, is a letter written to the people of Colossae. A Colossae is found in kind of modern-day southern Turkey. There's three cities in this particular river valley, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. And Colossae is and always has been the smallest, uh, least thriving one. It's like in the slow lane of these three cities in the valley. Um, Colossae as a name of a town is what leaders uh, like to call aspirational language. <laughs> what are we going to name this city? Let's name it Colossae because it is going to be a colossus of a city. It wasn't. <laughs> it never became a colossus of a city. It's stuck in the slow lane, its entire existence. Um, we've got a picture. I, I don't have it with me. We'll throw it on social. But Daniel Jew is a research intern around here. So a lot of the content for the messages comes from him. Uh, a few weeks ago, he took a picture and, uh, in front of the sign of Colossae. And then like right behind it is just this big mound. That's Colossae today. I mean, it's in the southern Turkey. It's not even worth excavating because it's like that much of a like throwaway, kind of unremarkable, nothing sort of city. And it's fascinating to me that not only does the Apostle Paul, just a hero of the faith, right? Not only does he write a letter specifically to the Colossian people, the, Coloss the letter called Colossians, but he also addresses the letter to slaves. Like in the order, he goes to the very bottom city and the very bottom people. And he goes, slaves, I have special directions for you. Which is just remarkable to me that no matter where you are on the Jesus movement, and you think, surely, surely, this does not apply to me. It's like Paul goes to the bottom of the Bible and says, oh, no, no, no. Uh, God has something for you as well. 
And I just think that that is incredible. It's also important to notice um, when he says slaves that we realize uh, these people did not choose their work. <laughs> uh, it's kind of slavery in the first century. Uh, 50% of a city's population may have been slaves. They had field slaves. They did hard work outside uh, and inside as well. But there was also like doctors, lawyers, accountants that were also slaves. Some of you are thinking, that kind of sounds like my office. I don't, I slave away, don't have any. It's different, I assure you. <laughs> there was no walking away power uh, that they had which I think is hugely important when we get to the first line in Colossians 3, verse 23, just first three words, it goes like this, whatever you do. Does that have like a sound of inclusivity behind it? Like, hey, everybody, whatever you end up doing, uh, it, it kind of has this address that includes like, like everybody, what everybody does. It doesn't... I think we need to know who this is addressed to and the people that didn't get to choose their work and, and, and yet their work is still included. Because someday, at some point, you're going to be in a position where you're thinking, uh, how did I get to do this? <laughs> this is not work that I would have chosen to do by any means. When I graduated from high school, besides dinosaurs walking around on earth, there was also nothing, seriously? All right. Um, there was my guidance counselor, I remember telling me, he goes, uh, hey, Dirk, um, you know, the average person, you know, studies show, they change careers something like seven times in their lifetime. So, like, forget about whatever you think you're going to be studying in school. Like, it's not going to be applicable anyway. And I'm like, thank you for that encouraging atmosphere. I'm so glad I go here. Uh, but besides that, was this kind of understated, implicit point that's saying most of the work that you do, you're going to be entirely unprepared to go ahead and do it. I mean, so for me at the time, it was like, okay, just choose something that I'm like interested in right now, because chances are, like, Greek is not going to be daily. Hey, wait a second. It worked. It totally paid off. Um, good luck. No, no. Uh, I think that the number has probably only gone up from there, from seven. It's, but even take that as a conservative estimate. Um, just, just consider that you're going to change, not just employers, but like industry fields, seven times or more. Some of those are going to be by choice. Not all of them. There is going to be a time, there's going to be a season, you can almost guarantee it. And some of you are looking back and going, yeah. I know that season, or I'm in that season, or you will be in that season. When you're going to something that you wouldn't have necessarily chosen for yourself. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to study a business administration because I'm going to take the helm of the next great American corporation. And then you get out and you hear like this repeated uh, chorus, yes, but we're looking for somebody with more experience. And you're going to come back and you're going to work the same retail job you did in high school before you even had the degree. Somebody's going to drop in on you and go, why are you working at the mall or why are you working at the restaurant? And the reason that you're going to give is that this isn't totally what I plan on. This isn't what I chose, but it's good for now. It's a for now job. Some of you know what it's like to work a for now job. 
I, I want to speak into that for any of you who are in that season right now or who will be in that season, who are looking ahead and going, like, I don't have any problem with the work. It's just, it's not what I would have chosen for myself. It's simply good for now. Paul does not let you off the hook and say, well, I guess this doesn't apply to you. He goes, no, no. whatever you do, even if it's a for now job. If you go to work in the corner office punching in or you punch in as the Uber driver to get that person there, it's a for now job. Whatever you do, God has instructions for you, for, for, for the attitude, for the behavior, for the quality of work that you're going to be doing in the for now job. Oh, okay, listen, like, I get it. I'm doing it. I'm a four-now job this season. I'll go ahead. I'll do it, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. And Paul continues in Colossians 3, and he says, again, verse 23, hey, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Let me just give you a purely hypothetical scenario where you've been traveling all day. Maybe you've just been like sitting in a car for nine, 10 hours that day, traveling on a plane flight. I don't get why sitting makes people tired so much. I get it too, though. But it's like I'm tired and I'm exhausted from a day of relentless sitting. And I check in to the hotel, like the front reception desk. And there's like the, you know, stand window thing here. And then there's like just over here. And there are no walls. But like for some reason, it's like, well, if somebody's working here, there's a magic sound barrier. So you can't hear like whatever. And so the person is behind the desk and you can you're tired, you're exhausted, and you can hear her, um, yeah, I know. And then she said, and then I said, and, and then he said, yeah, yeah, but she posted, and you're going, this is going to be a while, right? What you have done is you've just immediately discerned somebody whose heart is not in the work. It might be a for now job, it might not be, but you know of all things, the heart is not there. It shows. Some of you just need it shows. Other times, you have gone out to eat. And you've gone out to eat, you sit at a table with some friends, and the server, it wasn't like she was just working to build a higher tip or something. It was like she was turning, eating out into a dining experience, like, like watching this thing. It's just a master-level balancing act of, of managing tables and trays. I worked in a restaurant. I spilled a lot of things. Um, so I just have this appreciation for people who do that well now. And I'm going, this isn't just a job for this person. It is like a craft. It is mesmerizing to watch. And as you're like looking on and watching this person, you instinctively get it. You can discern with very little difficulty that the their heart is in it. It shows. It shows, and get this, it also makes a difference. Uh, I was at a conference a little while ago. A speaker was talking about um, these two home builders, uh, like big time, like big development kind of home builders. And, and he, was, he was talking and sharing about like the perspective of one versus the other. And they're both pretty successful. One guy was just done. You could see it on his face. He had mentally, emotionally checked out a long time ago. He wanted to be done. He just didn't know like what else to do yet. But he's describing the process of like, I don't know, like I guess I would go through 
you know, an acreage of land, and I'll start adding up, you know, how many acres, how many square foot houses could fit in the price, average price of square foot, and just kind of a margin of profit, and make a decision based on that. It was very cold calculate. The other guy, also a successful home builder in a similar area, he goes, okay, I got a buddy with a helicopter, and, and what we like to do, we, we fly over it just to get like this aerial land. And he goes, I, I like to look down and I imagine these like curving, winding streets where kids are going to go out and play. And I imagine shade trees like lining the streets. And, and we'll plant them small, but you know, they're going to grow into something. We want them to grow into something because we're creating a neighborhood, a community. And he goes, as we're, as we're flying through, I, I think about the homes that we're going to build there. You know, we're going to build homes with these, these staircases in the center of them where you walk in. And somebody's daughter is going to put on a prom dress and she's going to walk down those steps. And we're going to put in these, these huge windows right in front. So as mom and dad are snapping pictures of that moment, that they can have good light and nothing to ruin that incredible moment. Whose house do you want to buy? <laughs> right? It makes a difference. It makes a difference to the person who lives there. Yes. Here's the kicker. It makes a difference to the people who live there. It makes a difference to the city that is built around that. It makes a difference to the world that your heart is in it, whatever you do. Okay, uh, whatever I do, you know, I'm, I'm there, I'm present, but you got to understand, you got to understand something. Um, like the person that I work for, like the work is great. Everything would be fine, except for if, you know, if he left, if she left, boy, that would be a relief. I don't work for somebody pleasant. <laughs> Paul continues, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. This is key. So let's read the next five words together. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. Dirk, um, preacher boy, you may work for Jesus. <laughs> I don't work for Jesus. <laughs> um, we've got a lot of names for the boss in my office, job site. Jesus is not one of them. We hear God's name on this site plenty. It just has a different ring than how you say it on Sundays. I don't work for Jesus. And Paul whispers back. I think the Holy Spirit whispers back. He goes, yeah, you do. You, you, you work at something with all of your heart, as if you're working for God himself. Like the picture that Paul is setting up is like, regardless of the work, whatever, right? Regardless of the task at hand. But like when, when you go in, it doesn't matter if you work in the executive suite in the office. It doesn't, work, it doesn't matter if you're the receptionist at the office. It doesn't matter if you're on staff at the office or cleaning the office. All of it, whatever you do, your whole heart, as if you're all reporting to God himself directly. Paul, where does this come from, man? Like, do you get the, the stand? Do you get the level that you're asking for here? I think for that, we need to go uh, to the beginning, <laughs> of everything, the beginning, beginning, Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one, where, where God, he, he makes the whole world, 
right? Uh, he kind of identifies in the third verse, I think, in Genesis 1. He goes, this is the problem at hand. Um, not exactly paraphrasing, but the, the earth is formless and void. It lacks structure and it's empty. And then God goes ahead in this incredible way. He creates structure and then he goes ahead and fills it up. I mean, and he's got this repeated refrain. I hope you can, you can pick it up. On day one, right, he goes through and he, light and darkness. And he goes, it is good. It is good. Day two, he creates sky and water, and then it is good. Day three, he creates land and vegetation. It is good. On day, structure is in place. On day four, five, and six, he starts to fill it up with the same refrain. And he goes, in the light and dark, I got the sun to go in the, sky, in the day, and then moon and stars that go at night. It is good. And I'm going to put birds in the sky and fish in the sea. It is good. And then I'm going to put like animals to eat the vegetation and people to inhabit the earth. And at the end, he goes, it is good. Except when he gets time to make you and me, when he gets time to make the people, he doesn't say it is good. He says, it is very good. He loved what he made. In fact, he, he draws a special attention to humankind when he creates humanity. He, he shapes it and he goes, let us make man, humankind in our own image, in the image of God we have created them. I want us to see that embedded into the very, very creation is like this, this, this work rhythm side that says, you know, I'm creating a structure and I'm filling it. Structure, filling it. It's good. It's good. It's good. Part of what it means to be the image of God means to be this builder, sorter, stacker kind of person. I have a kindergartner at home that is going to be a surprise to all of you because I don't ever mention her on Sunday. But um, I do. Shocking. And uh, you're also wondering why this might be on stage. Um, she comes home from kindergarten, and, and she gets out the tub of, uh, of Legos. This is bricks with, like, knobs on the top of them. You've all played. Um, she dumps it out. And uh, it scatters the, the bricks like everywhere, right? And then she starts like building and shaping and forming, in this case, uh, uh, an imagined Elsa's palace. We're still not over frozen in our house. Um, she creates this. And I'm looking at her as she spends like an hour, you know, she's got instructions, she's dutifully like following the instructions, trying to make something out of the nothing. And I'm going, and then when she's done, it's like, Dad, I need you to put this on a shelf so my little four-year-old brother doesn't just terrorize it and have to do it all over again. I love what I just made. It is good. I mean, can you imagine? Could you imagine building something like this? And, and then, like, using it as, you, using building out of Legos as a kind of punishment. Like, you know, sweetie, I love you, but you're in trouble now. You need to go to your room, dump out the Legos, and play for an hour. You know, build for an hour. Like, that's just, well, sure, <laughs> it got off kind of easy that way. Uh, it doesn't quite make any sense because she loves the build. Kids, they just, they get that the, the work, it doesn't have like a negative thing to it. At all. They just love it. For us, a little more tainted by the world and culture, like I look at it and go, why do you want to buy like 20 bucks for this like thing of pieces that you have to put together? It's like shopping at Ikea for the thrill of assembling the furniture. I don't get it. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make any sense. But then we, we come to this passage, right? We come to 
Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15, and it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Just a, a quiz on Bible reading. Does anybody remember which chapter of the Bible sin was introduced, right? Everything was created. It was perfect. It was wonderful. It was no sin. Nothing tainted in the world. And then in one chapter of the Bible, everything just like spiraled. Anybody just shout it out. Three. There's a bunch of people. The chapter three. This one comes in chapter two. I, I want us to see that in a perfect world, that there is work, there's sorting, there's building, there's tasks at hand. And it's, it's not a bad thing. It's, a, it's not a product of the fall. Paperwork, that might be a product of the fall. But, but the building, the sorting, it's a good thing. In a perfect world, it's a good thing. It doesn't matter if you're negotiating a sale or negotiating a nap time. Like, it's, it's a, good, a good thing. If you're working through a stack of invoices or a pile of laundry, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. I, I think sometimes we need to like tell us that. You know, one of the ways, the significant ways that we don't just have the image of God, but we are the image of God, is that from Sunday, we go right into Monday and we continue building, we continue creating, we do that way. All of this, there's a separation between the world. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. In fact, more than a good thing, I think it's a sacred thing. It's a holy thing. You know, um, when I'm officiating weddings, some of you I know because I, I officiated uh, your weddings, but when I, when I get to do that and I stand on a stage and I'm not 18 inches from couples as they're looking at each other in the eyes and they're making commitments and promises to love each other for a lifetime. Because, because God has made a commitment and a promise to love them for their lifetime. Friends, that's a holy moment. It's a sacred thing. When I go home from that experience and I see a pile of dishes in the sink stacked up and I take them and one by one start neatly arranging them in a line in the dishwasher, that's a holy moment. That's a sacred thing. Sometimes I need to tell myself it's a holy moment. It's a sacred thing. But sorting, stacking, structuring, filling, working, it's a holy moment, a sacred thing. Listen, this isn't just like Dirk's idea of like, hey, that's a fun thought to make work a little more palatable tomorrow. Uh, no, this goes back quite a ways. I want to show you a picture um, uh, of, a, of a gentleman about 500 years ago. Uh, anybody want to venture a guess? I'll give you a hint. He's Lutheran. Yeah? Okay. Maybe. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, uh, major contributed, contributor to something called the uh, Reformation, or uh, he was a protester who moved uh, with, the, with the protesting Protestant movement. One of the major things that he was protesting was the idea that if you were going to serve God, you had to either become a nun or a priest. And for Luther, he's like, I, I, you can't get there from an honest reading of the Bible. So he's looking back and like all this stuff that I just shared with you about creation and the work that God does and the work that God gives us and the holy and sacred moments and everywhere that it can found. And, and he goes ahead and he shares with us this quote. 
He says, the works of monk and priest, however holy and arduous they may be, they do not differ in the sight of God. He's like, there's not this gap between like the work that Dirk does on stage or at a wedding and the work that Dirk does in the dishwasher or the lawn mowing at home. It's like, there's not a difference. It's a holy moment. It's a sacred thing. No matter what you do, participating with God to shape and form, to bring structure to the world. It's a holy moment. It's a sacred thing. Now consider this and take this a step further. We got somebody uh, by the name of uh, Vaith, who is a, a, a theologian that almost nobody has heard of, but he was uh, a kind of researcher of the Protestant movement, the Reformation, and he shares with us this thought. I just love this. In effect, the whole economic system is the means by which God gives us our daily bread. Each part of the economic food chain is a vocation through which God works to distribute his gifts. And you're, you're saying like, wait a second, you're, I sell like heating and air conditioning units or I am a legal contract attorney. I do not understand how the work that I do is partnering with God in any way. And I just like imagine sitting down and praying and saying that prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. He goes, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Heaven there, come heaven here, your will be done. And then he goes, give us this day our daily bread. And we start to see it, right? We start to see how God feeds us through the work that you do. God, in fact, feeds his people, the whole world, by the work that you do. I just, this thought of like, I don't get the, the, the thing. of I sell heating and air conditioning. You know, I'm a lawyer working on contracts. And go, you know, in heaven, if you can imagine it, two people coming together, because if there was work in the, in the first world, there'll be work in the next, in the recreation. And you just imagine two parties coming together and they so perfectly understand the, the, the expectations and the rules and the consequences that they engage. And we call that thing a contract. The work is there. Heaven is brought here by it. And you imagine all of that happening within a one or two degree human comfort level of temperature. The work is there. Ushering a small slice of heaven from there here. That's what your work does. Your work is the means by which God figuratively and literally feeds the world in this economic food chain providing what Jesus taught us to pray is my daily bread. Like you have to understand whether you drive the bus to the school, whether you administrate the school, whether you teach in the school or serve lunch in the school, your work is partnering with God to just build a small slice of heaven here. Catherine Alderoff, she, she couldn't understand it when her company went bankrupt and she had to tell everybody in the office who thought they were just on the cusp of getting rich, she had to tell them that they don't have a job anymore. She said, it wasn't until that moment that I met that I realized what it meant to bring faith from Sunday into Monday morning. She said, this is what happened the next day. I want to read it because I want you to get her, her words right. She says, the next day after the bankruptcy, the staff, entirely on their own, made a plan to come in the following day for no pay, they said, to celebrate one another for the work that they had done. 
Though the celebration was bittersweet, they brought in musical instruments to play for one another or, or demonstrated the Tai Chi they taught in the evenings. They laughed about fun times together. I was amazed. They were honoring a culture, an organization in which they'd found some joy in their work and in their relationships with one another, even despite the end result. Here it is, here it is. Eventually, I came to see, I came to see that day as a glimpse of God at works. I'll say a glimpse of heaven being ushered in here, just a small slice. A glimpse of God at work doing what God does, healing, renewing, and redeeming. Dear friends, your work matters. As it brings in a small slice of heaven from there, here. And people are watching. We may forget that Sunday is somehow tied into Monday. We may forget that, but the people around us never will. What Aldriff realized was that the, her work matters. What she does, what you do, what I, it matters. And it even has eternal implications. Bringing heaven from there, here, it matters. I just want to leave you with whatever you do. Bringing a sloppy work with a bad attitude dishonors God. It pushes down that image of God in you. But bringing your best with a good attitude. Listen, there's something about that that just brings God's heart joy. Your work matters building heaven here. You can stay seated. Let's, uh, let's pray together. A gracious God, oftentimes we find ourselves walking around <laughs> as hollow shell of people, not totally seeing the connection between Sunday morning and Monday morning. Uh, God, some of us are going into environments that we might like the work, but we don't like the people we do it with. There might be a toxic environment that desperately needs you to step in. Uh, God, others of us might be in that for now job and just need to hear this, this call back to bringing an attitude, bringing our best with a good attitude. And, and regardless who we immediately report to, it's just something inside of you that brings joy. Uh, God, we ask that, that this week you show us what it means in particular to to bring a slice of your heaven into the office, into the classroom, into the home. It's in your name we pray. Amen.